Welcome to Playing With Fire, the podcast for people who are ready to custom build their love. We're talking about non-monogamy, however you design it, as an individuation opportunity. Want to leave the default and make your life spectacularly you? You're in the right place. You are listening to Playing With Fire, where we talk about non-monogamy as a relationship paradigm and my favorite thing in the whole world, individuation. Um, we have a fantastic episode and the can... conversation today. Wonderful. So Great. and you important. Too. This conversation <laughs> is important. Um, Dr. Marie Tuin, not her first appearance here on Playing With Fire um, and certainly not her last. Um, Marie and I have become really good friends over the past couple of years, and it's been a total pleasure to work with her. And recently we coined a new word. And so we're going to talk about it. We're going to get in and talk about this word and why this word needs to exist and needed to come into existence. And if you are a person who has been struggling with your jealousy, which you listen to me, so that's, you know, it's likely likely that you've struggled with jealousy at some point, um, you're going to want this episode. And if you are curious about what happens when two researchers figure out how to collaborate this episode might be interesting for you too. Um, because it at heart, it's about relationship. Yep. You know, we talk oh, all the time yeah. about how this isn't just about your romantic relationships. This no, is about this is all about of your relationships and how you do that. in the world. Yeah. So uh, Marie is an amazing researcher. She will have a book out soon on compersion. Um, great. Yes. And she and I both trained at sister universities. So I went to Pacifica graduate. Uh, Marie went to CIIS and we each have PhDs in slightly esoteric areas of psychology and and uh, spirituality, um, transpersonal studies for Marie and depth psychology for me. And there you are over there with your physics. I'm not totally sure here. what esoteric means, although I think physics has been described. Using I think it just that means word. interesting. Well, I, th- I think that's what I was going to say. I think it is something interesting that we could all use. Yeah. The reason I introduce her that way is... It- the longer I've gotten to know her, the more I realize that her brilliance weaves throughout all sorts of different work. And this particular episode is just one little instance. So you're going to want to follow Marie for sure. There are details in the show notes about how to do that. But in the meantime, sit back and listen and learn a little bit more about a new word. Welcome, Marie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's so fun every time I get to talk to you guys. I love chatting with you. And this week we have something really exciting. So yeah. Ken, you're going to ask us questions. I'm going to ask you questions. Because Marie and I have a thing. You have a thing. You have a thing. And um, that thing is a new word, which I think is awesome. Um, it's Comper Struggle. Comper Struggle. And before Comper get- Struggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to, before we get into the that word, let's talk about a couple other words. Just quick. What is jealousy? Oh, jealousy is the protective threat you feel when you're there's a threat to your valued love relationship or when you imagine that there's a threat to a valued love relationship. Okay. And the follow-up, what is compersion? Well, compersion is the broad range of positive emotions, thoughts, attitudes, and actions that you can experience in relation to your partner's other relationships. All right. You asked the two right people for that. I did, right? Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um, is there any overlap between them? 
There is. There is. There's magical overlap now. There's magical mm-hmm. overlap. <laughs> There's synergistic overlap, right, Marie? Because this was this this word is born out of the fact that we met and that my right. jealousy research and your compersion research left us in a space to notice, like, oh, our work overlaps. It's not that it just abuts, it overlaps because jealousy and compersion overlap. Right. And can we actually create a little parenthesis here and tell the listeners how we met and what we felt when we met? (laughs) (laughs) We should do that. Yeah. Because it was not um, it was not entirely without a little internal strife for both of us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Marie and I met um, we met. I mean, we I think we came to know of each other at a time when we were both fresh off of our doctoral dissertations or right in the throes of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I happened to get a spot on a TEDx stage. And that TEDx stage, I was going to talk about jealousy, but then once I was creating my actual talk, the, the people who were helping design that particular TEDx wanted me to focus on compersion. So I did. So Marie met me because I happened to have a TEDx on her specialty compersion, even though it is not like my top, which might have caused a little, I'm thinking a little professional, well, professional envy slash jealousy, maybe. Was like, oh my gosh, that should have been me on that stage. Who is this Jolie Hamilton who took my spot? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then I proceeded to, of course, look up, you know, well, who is Jolie Hamilton? Wow, okay, she has interesting work. Let me connect with her. And then once we got in front of each other and had a first conversation, I mean, to me, I don't want to speak for you, but I was just totally in love with you. And I, totally. My I was like... jealousy just turned into complete compersion and collaboration and admiration. And like, yes, I want to be in this woman's life. It was the moment of of realizing because I came into it thinking like, oh, are we are we are we going to be competitive? Are we like Mm -hmm. are we competing for and this is so meta, right? Are we competing for the the space, the attention, the relationship with the concept of compersion, (laughs) which is just ridiculous in so many ways. But humans will personify anything. And I think you and I had worked so closely with compersion and with jealousy that for me, those concepts really have this very personal nature. And it felt like any encroachment by someone else did feel threatening. I, I did mm-hmm. feel the like, oh my gosh. And I remember th- right before our first meeting, I remember thinking, what if what if she's like kind of mad, like I, that I didn't know you existed. So I hadn't even cited you in any of my my work because I had not found you yet. And mm. yeah, I had all kinds of feelings. And then it was like meeting a sister. It was like meeting right. somebody I was supposed to meet yes. my whole life. Like, oh, oh, there's plenty of room. And oh, yeah. on top of that, if we hadn't studied these things, we wouldn't have met. We right. If we had not fallen in love with the same words. Really, we fell in love with the same concept and the same opportunity for transformation, you know, that lives in that zone, that very fluid zone between jealousy and compersion. Right. And oftentimes we think about those two things as being mutually exclusive or, you know, diametrically opposite. And and yes, there is an opposition, but those things are so, you know, together. It's really hard to have one without having the other at some level. And 
And that's why I think our works, our bodies of work are so compatible and complementary. Totally. And because it is because there is that that space where they interweave. And I agree with you, Marie, that there is a if it were not for the existence of jealousy, then compersion would not taste so sweet. And if it were not for compersion, jealousy might feel like it is only um, difficult and challenging. And we might not recognize that, in fact, in that space is, oh, what if there's this this other, this third thing? Jung would say we're, we're in the zone of the transcendent function, right? The We're the third thing that cannot be born unless these two seemingly oppositional qualities come into interaction and then this this third space occurs, and that's where magic happens. Okay, I'm gonna mm. I gotta say it. So you two, with your jealousy and compersion, and you two yourselves, you're the peanut butter cup of relationship that's technology, awesome. right? The chocolate, the peanut butter. Put those hands together. Put uh, them. Together. Yes, my favorite snack. It's yeah, <laughs> of course it, it is. is. I mean, it, it, you can't go wrong with it. You can't. Yes. And right. the two of us had a comfort struggle. Yeah, we did. Or at least, I, yeah. No, like I definitely. This, yeah, you too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I remember I was so grateful when you brought it up because mm-hmm. I think I was on, I had, okay, when we get into talking about why this is a struggle. So from the position I was in, I was experiencing having like the upper hand, right? Like I had more, I had gotten on the Ted stage. I had gotten the attention, right? Cause at core, mm-hmm. what we're talking about here is attention. And that's why yes. it's a comper struggle for us, even though there's not a third person involved, mm-hmm. but we had, we wanted the attention, the, the whole audience, all of you listening, you all are who we want. Right. And so that's <laughs> who we're in competition for if we're, there's competition. But since I was the one with the stage in this case, it it I didn't know how to bring it up. I didn't know how to ask, like, "Hey, is there envy? Is there jealousy? What's going on in here? What's what what might there be between us?" So I was so grateful when you brought it up, and we're like, you know, first, Matt. <laughs> okay, so before we get too deep into it, can we get a clear definition of copper struggle? So a compersion struggle, put very simply, is when you are caught in a mix of jealousy and compersion. Yeah. So there's the coexistence of both. And usually it's wanting to feel compersion or having what I would call a compersive attitude. Like you really do want the best for the person you love. And yet there are some embodied feelings of jealousy tugging at you. Yeah. Yeah. And that is such a beautiful description of the fact that jealousy itself is not usually something someone's seeking. Even for those of us, and I count myself amongst, even for those of us who do get some some benefits out of jealousy, like I experience arousal with jealousy and that can feel fun, but usually we don't seek it out for its own in its own right. Whereas people do seek out compersion for its own purposes in its own right. They seek it out and so there can be this feeling, and I think it's it's great that we decided on a word, because we went through a lot of word possibilities, but we decided on a word that focuses on the, the compersion, wanting the compersion and struggling. Because for some people, the jealousy might be a huge struggle. For some, it might be a more mild struggle. But the, but the 
acts that we go through, the, the, the machinations, the energy that we put into, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to be with the fact that compersion isn't just spontaneously happening and jealousy isn't spontaneously disappearing. And I have to be with this. Right. Not simple, not easy. Right. Exactly. But very normal. And, <laughs> and that really brings us to kind of like fundamentally, like how do we deal with our emotions? You know, like it's such a perfect example of learning how to be with emotions that are uncomfortable. And right. like the paradox of at once letting ourselves feel what we feel and not trying to repress it and deny it but also being able to imagine and move towards a different reality and not be a, a slave of what we feel all the time. Right. I appreciate that you said it's it, it's a microcosm. It's a way to look at how each of us individually works with our emotions because I don't think there's one path here. And you and I have talked a lot about the, I have the jealousy roadmap and you have the compersion roadmap. And okay, so if we link these two up, yeah, but let's just remember they're not one path. It's not like one clear path. You follow these exact steps and everyone's will look the same and it'll all happen in the same order. It's a complex experience of probably passing back and forth between feeling the intensity of your jealousy and your compersion. And everybody deals with that differently. You know, like I know some people go right to their body and they're like, oh, I'm going to work somatically first. I'm going to go right to my nervous system. Um, and for other people, they need to go in through the intellect. They need to have these ideas. And that's why I think having a word for this is so helpful because for those of us who need, uh, who can feel the magic of naming, right? Mm -hmm. I name mm -hmm. this and now it's safe for me to be with this complicated, messy feeling synergy of emotions. Um, yes. There's yes. not just one way, but I think naming really does matter here. Absolutely. We've got this this uh, um, potentially confusing, complicated combination of feelings that we've now given a name to. So, um, what's what do we get out of this? What's good about this situation? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, of course, comfort struggle is not easy because you know, like we might feel ashamed that we have jealousy, and we might feel ashamed. Um, about our non-monogamous identities, you know, so it might feel like we're caught between, you know, a rock and a hard place. And what be good about it, you know, to me, this kind of struggle is where we really get to decide who we want to be. Mm -hmm. You know, if we never felt this kind of tension of opposites, we would never really come face to face with like, well, who am I? Like, I'm feeling these different things. And and not that you have to choose just one, but it really kind of puts you face to face with with that kind of decision point. Yeah. And oftentimes we're caught between two paradigms. And Jessica Fern goes into that in her last book, Polly Wise, like really moving from monogamy to non-monogamy as a paradigm shift. And the comfort struggle can be a big part of that. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, like I want to be in this new paradigm already, but I'm feeling you know, a lot of what mononormative society told me I should feel. And that's an indication of like, okay, you're in a liminal space at some level. Right. And what if we have to wrestle with this 
um, you know, you using the word struggle was intentional, right? Like, what if we have to struggle with this because the transition from um, understanding the world simply as either um, I feel safe and jealousy is not part of my experience and I don't have to be exposed to jealousy and that's how I find safety. Moving from that to what if I, what if I could feel jealous and still be safe? What if in fact my jealousy did was, was yes, an indicator that there might be a potential threat, but what if I could be with that and then actually do the checks? Like what, what if I have the conversations and I make sure that my agreements are being uh, like upheld and they do meet my needs and I'm actually moving through that and I'm attending to my body and then I be with the fact that, yep, and it might still feel challenging to not have the monogamous gaze of a partner pointed at me all the time. Mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm, what if I just have to mm-hmm. be with the fact that, yeah, my my child self, my infant self, they want all of the attention all the time and they have no desire to deal with anything else. Mm-hmm. And yet that's not who I want to be in my adult relationships. Right. And that honestly, monogamous or non-monogamous, that's not, I don't want to be demanding all of my partner's attention. And so what if I have to do both, like see the indicator that jealousy is, and then move at the very least into that attitude of compersion, the, the wanting to experience and, and the wanting to be happy for my partner, having a full rich life. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And oftentimes, you know, that wanting and that intention and that kind of attitude is enough. You know, like a lot of people think, oh, because I'm not feeling all the compulsive feels and I'm not really ecstatic to see my partner go on dates with someone else. I'm not poly enough. I'm not Uh doing this right. Uh, Yeah. And it can be such a source of shame. But having this intention, this attitude can just really be heroic in itself. And it can create love in a place where love is difficult, you know, where a lot of our conditioning or a lot of our pain causes us to want to shut down. And yet we find a way to love and support our partner anyways. And isn't that beautiful and a gorgeous human experience? Right. I Yeah, I appreciate the uh, those those opportunities to show up the way we want to and intend to um, because without those, I don't know, for, for myself, without those opportunities, sometimes I just slide and coast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I don't step up the way I want to. So that's awesome. And so that said, these are some pretty difficult situations you two are describing. And I think we've touched on it a little bit, but what can we do to make those moments easier to manage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do you want to start? Well, Marie, I wanted to start just because I, I wanted to name that if the moment itself is difficult, I, I don't want to overlook the body and, you know, turning to some really basic nervous system hygiene, right? Like you have a body, it has a nervous system. That's the only way you're interpreting the universe. And you, and the only question it's asking, your nervous system is just asking, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? So if it's firing, if it's going off and you're not experiencing safety, and some of us never really experience deep safety, 
Um, then practicing like daily practices that allow you to ground into the the safer, right? Like what's the safer state for you feels so integral to me, to the process of being who I want to be in relationship. Like I, I am a deeply relationally anxious person. And so if I didn't do that work every single day, I would not be equipped for the moments where it really blows up and it's really difficult and it goes from just being uncomfortable to being a struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just want to lay the groundwork with like day to day. If you are, are practicing either neurosomatic intelligence, a gentle movement practice, orienting to your space, doing breath work, um, turning to your, to your, whatever tools your body responds well to, that's going to put you on a good, a good starting point to work with this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you said earlier, you know, some of us really thrive with more of like the somatic work first, and some of us need to do the mental cognitive work first. So yep. I also want to suggest that some people might want to first name it and and do that kind of mental work of understanding, like what what is this? And, and can I bring understanding and compassion and self-compassion into this place internally. Yeah. Yeah. I, in the jealousy roadmap, the first two steps are the first two steps. I think we point to with every emotional experience, right? Notice it and name it. And if you, and, and that's why we chose this word. It's because literally every day, each of us is asked, well, what if, what if I can't feel compersion or what if my jealousy won't turn into compersion or, or, or how do I get it to change? And I think we both consistently had the same answer. That is what if you, what if you're just in it? What if you're just with it? But you, if you name that it, can you befriend it? Can you move into, oh, this is normal. Um, it might not be comfortable, but it's normal. And I, maybe I have to do less in this moment um, of, of struggle. Maybe right now I can just be compassionate to myself for like, Ooh, this is hard. This, this moment is hard Mm -hmm. and not be in a rush to be, like you said, like a, a better non-monogamous person or like a good Mm -hmm. poly person. Because I, I mean, I've been at this a long time, 15 years, and I've never had a day where I'm like, I feel nothing negative. I'm perfect. (laughs) Never been Mary Poppins. So (laughs) Oh, maybe one day, maybe one day, even Mary Poppins was only practically perfect in every way. Okay. That's true. Okay. (laughs) I think think naming it is so important, Marie, but what would you say to someone who's like, okay, so I look at this word and clearly I'm there. I'm, I'm in the comper struggle. What's your next move? So once you've named it, then, you know, you can investigate what is it, you know, like, what are you really struggling between? What are the thoughts, the beliefs, the needs, the desires that maybe are screaming at you, telling Mm -hmm. you they're not getting met, seen, fulfilled, and really kind of taking an inventory, which I think is very similar to a lot of what you talk about in your jealousy framework, taking an inventory of those needs and and boundaries and really what is happening and and being the benevolent parent of of these voices in you and establishing, well, if there are needs that are not getting met, can I do more to meet those, you know, 
by myself and with my partners. Yeah. And if there are elements that are more about just really bringing love to a place that is not really defined by an unfulfilled need, but just wants some love and attention, like, can I give myself that? Mm-hmm. Like doing really the the process of healing and establishing and evaluating, like, what is that pain trying to tell me? Right. And for a lot of us, I think um, we never really gave ourselves that space you know like we never were pushed into that space of looking at everything that jealousy brings up all of these spaces of scarcity and you know sometimes low self-esteem or or lack of self-love or just insecurity and it can be insecurity in the relationship like maybe maybe the relationship needs some tuning up um you know maybe the relationship agreements need to be readjusted maybe you need better communication more transparency building more trust maybe maybe your metamor is not someone you trust like there's so many things that can cause you to be in a comfort struggle and the more you understand it then the more you can take appropriate action right so there's an opportunity to learn all kinds of things in that situation right right great yeah and there's all of that complexity that you just named, Marie, like there are tools, there are methods, like there are so many different ways to address any of that. And all of them, they rely on the idea that you believe you you can create your relational reality, right? Like you get to take steps. And I think when jealousy happens, I see a lot of people struggle because they they really want their partner to fix it. Um, and so they disempower themselves and and forget that, in fact, the, the the emotions going on within me and there's a lot of stuff I can do in my relational reality that starts with me. And when it comes to comper struggle, some of that might be really getting clear on what your relational values are. Did you choose non-monogamy? Are mm-hmm. you choosing or are you choosing a conscious monogamy where you are are really being super clear with yourself that your jealousy if you're if you're if you've got agreements and your agreements are being kept then your jealousy is yours to work with and to keep working with and your partner can assist you in that but them continuing to you know clamp down their relational connections so that you won't feel it it's not a good long game it can mm-hmm. that can be helpful in a short term you know acute situation but in the long game there is going to be this we have to allow transformation and transmutation to happen. And right. that is, I mean, we can't rush it, but we also have to like be able to imagine that we can get there. And that's where I find people get a little clamped down is they can't imagine a world where jealousy and compersion could coexist, much less a world where they would actually thrive and enjoy watching their partner have their pleasure right and that mm-hmm. and that is the paradigm shift it is and it doesn't happen instantaneously and not in my experience anyways that tends to happen over the course of time as you practice as you said being the person you mean to be in relationship mm-hmm. and yes. like you continually choose who you want to be in the face of yeah sometimes pretty intense discomfort and so is this an opportunity to tweak agreements? And to my mind, absolutely. Sometimes we find out through our comper struggle that we don't have the agreements we thought we had. 
like mm-hmm. so many people, I'm, I don't know what happens in your practice, Marie, but in my world, a lot of people come to me saying that they have agreements, but they don't really, they have, they have a lot of implicit expectations and a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that they've talked about. They may have had lots of discussions, but there's not, there's a lack of clarity around how their agreements will be enacted and what will happen and what the consequences will be, how they'll support each other. If there are, if there are violations of those agreements, like what will happen next? Like, And that doesn't have to be punitive. Just what will happen next? How will we support each other to come back together and do the repair? And so that's where, to my mind, it's not just about tweaking your agreements, but making sure that you've actually got agreements that are complete and aren't just suggestions for like, you know, we should be nice to each other. We should, Mm -hmm. you know, treat each other with respect. That's a big one I hear. You know, our relationship agreements are to treat each other with respect. I'm like, okay. I'm going to need more specifics. I mm-hmm. I need more specifics because what does that what does that mean for you to feel respected? How would you want my behavior to be? How would that look, sound, feel? And if Cuz boy, that can vary hugely from relationship to relationship. Mm-hmm. I brought a whole mm-hmm. bunch of habits of oh what I God. thought was respectful to you and it was just like the complete opposite. Um it was not respectful was to me. Was not respectful. <laughs> because it was things like for instance, um, Ken came from a relationship where the emphasis was on um, not sharing any more details than were necessary. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. <laughs> Don't share right. details. But my my body finds safety in having lots of details, lots of transparency. It can be respectful to not bother you with something, or it can be respectful to give you everything so you have the whole picture. They're both mm-hmm. valid. It depends entirely on the people involved. Right. So there's right. so so many different ways this can go. And I'm I'm hearing you both talking about imagination and agreements and um and it all is coming down like they all have this common thread of presence. Like who are you actually in relationship right now? Mm-hmm. How does the things you're feeling um, you know, what how do they hold up against the, the relationships that you're in right now? Right. Yeah. Good, good job with the word. Uh, we need this. <laughs> we need to be able to see this and see the opportunity that it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Marie, do you find that people are struggling? Um, is there, is there a struggle for people around this, this idea of I, but I want to feel spontaneous embodied compersion. I don't want to just mm-hmm. be in the attitudinal part. Like I, I just want to, cause I, I see that in my world quite a bit. Like there's some resentment around, like if one partner feels compersion really easily, Ken happens to feel compersion very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, it just flows really simply for him, lucky him. And yeah. I got to work at it. <laughs> it takes right. effort. I gotta, I have to grind and, and work a little. And I I've noticed myself and I've noticed clients who feel they're frustrated that it takes effort. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious amazing. if it comes up for you. Yeah, I see that all the time. I actually do often have clients who come to me and say, listen, I am there on the attitudinal compersion front. I really want my partner to be happy. We have great agreements. We get along well. And yet I can't really overcome that part of me that keeps getting triggered and keeps getting jealous when my partner goes out on a date. And you know, like there, there can be an aspect where I have to kind of help calm people down of like this, 
this is not a stick you should beat yourself with because this idea that you should be feeling something can then create another layer of shame and problem that can make the actual you know potential progress towards embodied conversion even more difficult so sometimes just kind of releasing control over what we're feeling can be a first step yeah and then you know oftentimes there are maybe needs that are not getting met even if it's not within the relationship like all the agreements are fine but maybe the person really shifts once they have a date with someone else on their side and there's more of a sense of mutuality or they feel more empowered they feel more free from their end and that could not necessarily have been manufactured you know like that spontaneous compersion a lot of it is contextual right and it's not something we can necessarily just will ourselves into right and we're swimming it's i think it bears mention that we swim in a sea of monogamy right now yes like we're in this and so if if I currently am not seeing anyone who's, you know, I'm really like bonding with and my partner, my anchor partner who I see every day is, then I a certain level of jealousy may may just be existing in part because I turn out to the world that just keeps banging me over the head with the idea that my life is wrong, my identity is wrong, how I do relationships is wrong. And So that part is really challenging. This is like, there's this constant unpacking that I see people have to do. And I just want to say, like, if that's you, if you are one of the people who has to constantly unpack monogamy because somebody keeps sneaking it back in your bag, Mm -hmm. I see you, I hear you, like, me too. It's, that is hard. And that is why, like, it's why both of us do this work in the world. It's because we're swimming upstream. It's not going to be the easiest right now. My experience is over 15 years, it has gotten a lot easier. Yeah. And that being mm-hmm. out about my my relational identity actually for me has actually made it much easier because I can talk freely and I can be really open with more people in my life, which actually means that less people are thwacking me with the monogamy stick. Mm-hmm. And that means mm-hmm. I get less, um, I feel more free to experience jealousy come and go. Like, oh, it yes. comes, but I don't feel like it, it It doesn't have the same intensity now because I'm not being malicious to it. I'm not saying, oh my God, jealousy's here. So now we all have to freak out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm patient. And and that, I, I, you know, not everybody is ready, willing, or able to be out, but in my experience, it got a lot easier. (laughs) The more people knew for me, the easier it got. Right, right. And that totally matches my research. You know, like, I can't tell you enough how many people have told me, like, I really got into a compersive space once I got really involved in a non-monogamous community. And I was able to witness other people having compersion and just, you know, being next to their partner when they're making out with someone else and feeling fine. And once I realized that it could be fine, then I let it be fine. Yeah. You know, we oh, learn by example. We imitate each other. I think I might other, be the so. first one to ever say this, but humans are social. <laughs> and we learn from each other. Yeah. That being in a context where things are happening that we think we're the only ones doing, Mm-hmm. Well, what a feeling what a what a weight off 
You gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta mm-hmm. see it to be it. Is that the, I think that's the, like the common phrase. It, mm-hmm. I don't know whether you gotta, but the, but the idea yeah, of helps. actually seeing people living in this different paradigm, a paradigm is something you are ensconced in. It's something you are completely immersed in. Like, that's why we use the word paradigm here. Yeah. Um, so to be able to submerge yourself in that does change things. Just like when when people go through, you know, if you go through a big learning experience, you go put yourself at university. All of a sudden, you're a different person because you're in a different container. So if you have the capacity, even if you're not out in your regular life, you may be able to immerse yourself in some spaces, whether that be for a weekend or a week or in in a regular meeting that happens near you or in, I mean, we run a community for the same reason. It's because having the ability to see other people in the wins, the learns, in the struggles, it does change how it feels to be in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. The power of community. Mm. Yes. I think this is a good place to wrap because we could unpack this term more and I'm sure we will in the future. But Marie, thank you so much. Thank you for inventing this word with me. So excited. Thank both of you for for the work you two do in the world. It is so valuable. Thank you. So awesome. I'm so glad we got over our comfort struggle and just really transitioned into a place of pure collaboration and love and compersion with one another I think this is so divinely orchestrated not to be too (laughs) woo-woo but the fact that we actually have had that in our relationship and now we're able to really articulate it and I mean it was lucky that we got along so well and we didn't have to struggle for very long Um, but it was and And I mean, the timing could not have been more on point for the universe to have said, I think you're going to need an object lesson with this one. Would you just, how how about that? How about that? That sounds good. Also, you could both use a friend. Here you go. I I so appreciate you. And um, tell everybody where they can find more about you as well. Yes. So go to whatiscompersion.com and there you can book a free 30-minute introductory session if you're interested in coaching one-on-one. You can also download a compersion worksheet and that will help you identify where the struggle might be and where your compersion strengths might be and your current relational ecosystem. And also follow me on Instagram at love underscore insight underscore dating. Yay. I love that. Follow everything Marie does. All those links will be in the show notes. Marie, it was such a pleasure to have you. And Ken, thank you for guiding our conversation so we could just chat. (laughs) Sending you lots of love. Thank you so much. There's no one right way to design your relationship. And lots of people, actually about 25%, according to a recent national survey, are interested in some type of open relationship. But how do you know if you are ready to open up happily? Not everyone is, and that's no problem. I've got a 60-second quiz that will give you the answer. And even better, you'll walk away with your next step, whether you're good to go or not so much when it comes to opening up. And this is no BuzzFeed nonsense. I personally designed this quiz from my years of academic research. Go to joliquiz.com. That's J-O-L-I-Q-U-I-Z.com and find out if you're ready to open up happily and what to do if you are or if you're not.